0: Are you ready? Grab a pad, a pen, your Bible. We're gonna do these. Now, seven things that we're gonna show you from the Bible, these are, these are more uh, traits, things that you see people doing, attitudes. Uh, some of them have become habits, very sad. Uh, but we're gonna show you seven things from the scripture that are really dangerous attributes. You've gotta be careful to avoid um, all of these. And people, and here's the thing, in fact, let me start with 2 Timothy. The Bible actually tells us to avoid these kinds of people, tells us to avoid these types of Christians. And um, let me get, let me give it to you from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, I will uh, just kind of read you the last um, two verses, four and five, that I'm going to do today. 2 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. Listen to this. Uh, It says in the last days, these are the type of people that you'll come in contact with. Uh, Verse four says there'll be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse five, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. So uh, right off the top, well, I want you to see this because um, for all seven of these that we're going to cover today, the Bible says to avoid these kinds of people. It's important to know that, you know, we get caught up in the thought process so often that, well, you know, you're supposed to love everybody. And, you know, you're, you know, don't don't, you know, ever push anybody away. don't have, But the Bible doesn't teach that. Of course, we love everybody. Of course, we're praying for everybody. However, not everybody is someone you're supposed to be spending Uh, time with or uh, investing your life in, (laughs) does it not blow your mind that Jesus said to his disciples that if you go to a town or a city and you preach the gospel there and they don't receive what you're preaching, he didn't say stay there for your next 30 years and bang your head off of a brick wall till they all receive the gospel. He said, shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. Isn't that interesting? That was Jesus' command to his own disciples. He said, if they don't receive what you're saying, shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. And so you understand there are many places, even in the New Testament, where we are commanded to um, avoid people. In fact, there's um, there's actual passages where Paul tells people, throw them out of the church, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their soul. I mean, literally throw them out of the church, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their soul as a sign. And so we're not, we're not supposed to um, coddle sin. We're not supposed to be approving of sin. We give people a chance. We give them an opportunity. In fact, the way the Bible teaches it, it's, it's like two chances. And then after they stop receiving you uh, two times, they've been warned then have nothing more to do with them. And that's multiple places in the new Testament. So it's dangerous for us, and Maddie, make sure I can see all the comments as they're coming up. Uh, it's dangerous for us to um, continually be in fellowship with the types of people that literally don't care about obeying God's word. It's dangerous. Aaron said, I love avoiding people. I had someone else write me this morning who said, I'm an introvert, so avoiding people is one of my favorite things. <laughs> but it's very important that you have to understand this. So let me give you seven types of people um, that we need to be, that we need to avoid and what the Bible says about it or or why we need to avoid them. Hey, Joe, love you, man. And so I'm gonna start with 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, The first type of person or Christian that we need to avoid is the Christian that is always comparing themselves with other people. So number one, comparing Christians, comparing Christians. That's the first type of Christian we need to avoid, comparing Christians. They're always uh, comparing their life with yours, your life with somebody else, their life with somebody else. There's, there's just constant comparison going on uh, in, in their lives. And it's a very dangerous thing. In fact, it's not just dangerous, the Bible says it's very unwise to be that kind of a Christian. And that's why I had you turn to second Corinthians chapter 10, because I want to read it to you. We've got to avoid Christians that are always comparing, always comparing. Let me read you what Paul uh, said to the church in Corinth. And uh, this is what he, this is what he said. Uh, let me see. Let me read it to you this, this way. Second Corinthians 10, we'll, we'll start with verse, um, Let's start with verse 9. 2 Corinthians 10, nine. I don't want to appear to be frightening you with my letters for they say, well, his letter, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding or one translation says they're unwise It's not wise to compare yourselves. You know, another place that Paul talks to the Corinthians, he says to them, I'm actually very happy that I didn't baptize many of you because now cliques are forming inside the church and some are saying, well, I was baptized by Paul and the other people are saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos. And he said, it's, it's unwise to compare your lives with each other in that way. Here, these people are like mocking Paul and they say, oh yeah, he writes really strong letters. And then when he comes here, he's, he's not as strong as he is in his letters. And, and then he, Paul has to bring some correction there and explain to them that I actually do the things that I say in my letters. When I come to your church, it's not about me just talking strong. I live strong, but what happens is, is that people start comparing their life with other people. And then what happens? Well, number one, it's unwise for, the, for one reason is, is because you're not called to do the exact same thing as somebody else. You're not called to do the exact same thing as somebody else. You're not called to operate in the same way as somebody else. So if you were to start comparing yourself with somebody else's life, ministry, anointing, calling, you're gonna be frustrated, and you'll be frustrated for the rest of your life. And to hang around Christians, that are always comparing. And I always, one thing I do need need to say about comparison is there does need to be a certain level of comparison in the life of any believer because Paul gave the instruction. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you couldn't imitate Paul unless you compared your life with his. Otherwise, how could you imitate him, right? But that's the good kind. That's the good kind of imitation. But there's also The other kind, which is the negative type, which is done in such a way that it brings jealousy and done in such a way that it brings a a critical spirit. Um, And I call that comparing backwards or pointing out, uh, pointing out the insufficiencies or the faults of other people. That's a mistake. It's a mistake to always be comparing. And then let me tell you what, what the devil uses that to do to you. He takes your comparison and uses it to bring discouragement to your life. One of the things, and you can put this in the comment section, this will help you. One of the things that we've preached for a long time is this, don't compare somebody else's highlight reel with your practice sessions. (laughs) Don't compare somebody else's highlight reel with your practice sessions. You know how discouraging that would be for people. I mean, imagine that. And a lot of times on social media, that's what we're seeing people do: is that you know people post the best of the best of the best to social media. You know, it might be the best meal they've ever prepared, and they've got it looking just right. And they, you know, there, there might be some uh, mom or some wife that puts some meal that she prepared for her family on on Instagram or whatever, and it looks beautiful and it's perfect. Well, she's posting it. It might be the best one she's ever done in her entire life. And then you look over at at the macaroni and cheese that you just made in the refrigerator for your kids and think to yourself, I am a horrible mother. You know, she's got like, you know, roast chicken with herbs, you know, it's like twice baked potato, twice baked potatoes and, you know, shrimp cocktail. And it's like, it all looks beautiful and perfect. Then you're looking over there at the burnt mac and cheese. Like, man, I, I need, I, I need to just give up. I, you know, it's like you're, you're comparing somebody's highlight reel with your practice sessions and, and it, and it's not, you should never, you know, it's so sad that social media has done this to people, to the place where it's caused social anxiety, where people are literally <laughs> discouraged just from looking at other people's uh, social media accounts. And it's, it's a danger. You don't compare yourselves. The Bible warns us against uh, comparing ourselves. It's not wise to do. It's not wise to do. Now, it's one thing to compare your, your spiritual life to somebody that's ahead of you in the kingdom and compare it to their spiritual life to say, hey, Am I doing things that are causing me to grow? Am I doing things that are pushing me to go higher? That's okay. That's a different kind of comparison. I'm talking about the negative kind that always brings you into discouragement, anxiety, uh, defeat, depression. You need to stay away from that. I'm not somebody else. And so I'm not trying to be somebody else. You see what I mean? I'm not somebody else. So I'm not trying to be somebody else. I might see other people that I admire. I might see other people that I don't agree with what they're doing, but I'm not going to sit around and just be like, you know what? At Least I'm not like so-and-so it's a mistake. And what ends up happening is if you stay around those people long enough, you know, what it'll start to do is turn into gossip. It just turns into Well, did you see what so-and-so did? Well, did you, did you see with, did you see what she had on? Did you see what you see the car he just got? all this stuff. And then it starts to turn into gossip. And then you are talking about people outside of love. And if you're outside of love, then you're outside of God because God is love. And in fact, the Bible tells us in first John that you can't hate your brother and say you love God. It makes you a liar because God is love. And so the first type of Christian that we need to guard ourselves against is the comparing Christian, someone that's always comparing ourselves with somebody else or comparing themselves with somebody else. And it's all right, by the way, to bring correction in love to some of these people, just kind of point it out and say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not talking like that about people. We don't need to be talking like that about people. We don't, we don't need to compare ourselves. I mean, it's all right to in love, bring, point these things out and bring some bring some correction to it and just say, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't need to talk about people like that. We don't need to compare ourselves. It's all right, uh, to, to bring those things. I mean, if they're willing to talk to you like that, you should be willing, uh, to have that kind of a response in love with gentleness. The Bible says it's important. So that's number one, the comparing Christian number two, the compromising Christian, the compromising Christian. That's number two, put that on. I want to, I want to, um, show you something from the book of James and then the book of Romans, you can turn to Romans 12. I just want to read you a verse of scripture from the book of James chapter four. But the second type of Christian you've got to avoid is the compromising Christian. That's number two. But look at what the Bible says in James chapter four and verse 17. The Bible says, so whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it for him, it is sin. The Bible says, so that's a compromising Christian. One who knows what they should be doing, but they just choose not to do it. One who knows what's right, but they just choose not to do it. They're compromising their Christianity. Let me, uh, let me show you what, the, what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12. Listen to this. This is a perfect scripture for this passage, this point. It says, um, Romans 12, I'll start reading with verse one. I, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So there Romans Romans 12, one and two. I want to encourage you with that. Here's, here's the, the compromising Christian who literally knows what they should be doing and do not do it. How do you get past that? How do you get past that in life? Well, look at what Paul said. Don't be conformed to the world. And it's true. Mackenzie says compromising is big today because of the social pressure to just go with the mainstream thought. It's so true. I'm reading from the ESV, Brittany. She said, what version is that? This is the English standard version. So you ask yourself, how do you get past that? Well, there's so many pressures on us, as Mackenzie pointed out. There's so many pressures on us as Christians in 2021. There's there's all kinds of cultural pressures. There, all, all of it, societal. They, they want us to just conform uh, to the way the world does things. That's why you've got churches now that are rethinking their position on LGBTQ values. Uh, uh, ideologies or uh, agendas. We're, we're rethinking our our position on that. We're re- now now you've got some churches that are just simply uh, ordaining homosexuals and uh, literally compromising what the Bible teaches, what Orthodox Christianity has believed for thousands of years. And now because of the pressures of society, all kinds of got Christians that are getting drunk and don't care about it. All kinds of things. They're just compromising because they do not. Yep, Marie said family pressure too, exactly right. They will not uh, present their bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a whole lot easier to understand this when you realize I don't own me. First of all, you know, my body, my choice, it's not even your body. It's not my body. You ever think about that? Put it in the comments. My body is not my body. <laughs> Seriously, I want you to put that in the comments. My body is not my body. Because Paul told the Corinthians, you don't belong to yourselves, for you've been bought with a price. Isn't that right? Your body's not your body, it's God's body. Your body belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. My body's not my body, so it's not my choice. I present my body as a living sacrifice. Look at this, holy and acceptable to God, which is my spiritual worship. Now does it does this ever blow your mind? Think about this verse for a second. Presenting I can actually perform spiritual worship with my physical body. I can perform spiritual worship with my physical body. How? By presenting it unto God, holy and acceptable. Notice this, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How how are you transformed so you don't conform? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. How can I be transformed so that I don't conform? So that I don't compromise? By renewing my mind. That's exactly how you do it by renewing your mind. How do you renew your mind by the word of God? There's people that have, um, you know, anger problems and people that have control problems and self control problems. And how do you get past that issue that tries to cause you to compromise by renewing your mind, by renewing your mind, you can do things. To renew your mind, you put the word of God, the Bible calls the word of God, water that washes you. That's the book of Ephesians. He says that he has cleansed his bride. That's the church. Jesus has cleansed his bride with the washing of water by the word, with the washing of water by the word, with the washing of water by the word. word. I'm going to say it again with the washing of water by the word, the word of God washes your mind. It washes your mind. You renew your mind by filling yourself with the word of God. What did David say in the Psalms? David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. I've hidden your word in my heart. So the word of God, literally causes you to be washed, cleansed, and puts a barrier there that keeps you from sinning against God. Don't be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you'll stay away from that compromising Christian mentality by constantly renewing your mind by the word of God. This is why people won't won't probably wonder why does he harp so much about daily Bible reading and why does he harp so much about devotional time and why does he harp on uh, studying the Bible and the different ways to study the Bible and why, why does he always talk? The reason that I'm always talking about it is because if you'll be a person who constantly puts the word of God into your spirit on a daily basis, Someone that will pray and someone that will read the word, it will keep you in a place of constant victory where you're not conformed, but you're transformed. If you'll pray and if you'll read the word faithfully, you'll not be conformed, you'll be transformed. And that's what we need to be. It's our spiritual worship, presenting our bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, Pastor Joe Spence said, your success is found in your daily routine. Absolutely right. It's absolutely right. I heard one preacher say, if you show me a man's habits, I will tell you his future. If you show me a man or a woman's habits, I will tell you their future. Why? Because those are the, those are the tracks that lead you to your future. Your habits are the tracks like train tracks that lead you to your future. Your daily habits, if you've got the word of God going into you daily, if you've got prayer going on daily, guess what? You're not going to be conformed. You're going to be transformed. You won't be a compromising Christian or if, if you'll keep those habits in your life. And that's why I'm encouraging you too to stay away from that type of a person, avoid such a one. The Bible says, I see Pam and Gary love you guys very much. And so number two is the compromising Christian. Got to stay away from that type of a person that doesn't seem to care about what God's word says we should do. They just do what they want. And those that know to do right and don't do it to them, it is sin. The Bible says, so number one, the comparing Christian, number two, the compromising Christian, but let's hit number three, the critical Christian, the critical Christian, put it in the comments. Number three, the critical Christian. Christian, man, I've met so many of these people. They're just critical of everybody. You ever met somebody? They just, it's like, they never have something good to say about anybody. You ever met somebody like that? And it's like, you've probably heard it said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. But there's a lot of critical people in the body of Christ. And it's, it's a a very sad thing. It's like a, it's like a, uh, it's a disease. It's, it's a disease. You know, it's like it, it spreads. It begins to sh- spread throughout the body, the body of Christ. You know, you get around critical people, draw critical people, and then you got the critical click and then you got the critical club and then you got the critical. I mean, it just keeps on growing, run away from these types of people because notice something true love isn't going to criticize in a destructive manner. Love is not going to criticize in a destructive manner. It's just not going to. Now there's a difference, let me, let me break this down. There's a difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. I do wanna to touch on that for just a second. There's a big difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. I noticed this, and, and, and you'll notice it as I mention it now, you'll notice that all of the people who engage in destructive criticism, for the most part, they've not uh, built anything, done anything, constructed anything, if I can say it that way. Um, Notice this, that if you've got people who have destructive criticism, it's because most likely they've not done anything, built anything, they're just, It's like armchair quarterbacks sitting there out of shape, you know, with with nacho cheese on their cheeks because they're just watching the game from a chair. They got nachos and they're sitting there out of shape. I wouldn't have thrown that pass if it were me. What's he doing? What's he thinking? Meanwhile, you're criticizing one of the greatest athletes on the planet on Super Bowl Sunday watching on television, a quarterback. And because he missed a pass. You, you said they're criticizing him. You've never played in the NFL. You've never thrown a pass. You've, you never, you understand? It's like, it's the most ridiculous thing to see, sitting there criticizing people that are actually working to do something and you've never done anything. So I notice that the people that most of the time have destructive criticism are the ones that have never uh, built anything. They've never built anything. Um, But then notice this, constructive criticism. Now I look for that. I want constructive criticism. Anytime I do anything at all, I send it to people that I uh, trust. I send it to people that I trust and then I ask them, what do you not like about this? What do you think could be better about this? How could I improve on what I've already done? You know, why I send it to them because I trust them. Number one, I know they love me, but I also want them to know, I don't want to hear what you like about it. I want to hear what you think could be better about it. The reason I send it to specific people is because number one, I know that they love me and because they love me, they're not just going to tear down my work. So that sucks. Everything you did sucks. No, they love me to the place where they say, yeah, it was really good, but here's where I think you could improve. But notice I also choose the people that I know have built things that are actually producers, but here's, here's something. And I want you to remember this. I notice that the people who can truly give you constructive criticism, you have to like pull it out of them. You ever notice that you have to like pursue them and literally pull it out of them. Most of the time, the people that have produced things, the people that have, uh, built things. They're not willing to just go around throwing out critiques of everybody. They're just like, yeah, you do your thing, I'll do I'll, I'm doing my thing, and you know let's just you ever notice? you have to like seek it out. It's because truly wise people aren't going around critiquing everybody. Truly wise people aren't going around criticizing everybody. And you understand that when you've got somebody that you truly value their opinion because you've seen what they've done, you almost have to approach them and cuss it. No, seriously, what do you think of this? I, I don't mind. You can tell me whatever you want to say. You have to pull it out. Destructive criticism. Those people are offering it for free on every city street block. You know, anytime you walk down the street, you got people destructively criticizing you. That's why you just close your ears off to those types of criticism and don't hang around those type of people. The, the critical Christian, the critical Christian, It's horrible. Let me read you Matthew chapter seven. Let's go there. This is on the critical Christian. Stay free from these people. (laughs) Avoid such a one. Matthew chapter seven. Uh, Let's look at verses four and five. Matthew seven, four and five. Listen to this. (laughs) How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye (laughs) when there's a log in your own eye. Verse five, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice that people that have gone way past the big, huge log that's in their own eye to get a tiny little speck out of somebody else's eye. Let me give you a good, um, this, this is a really good uh, test for you when you go And maybe, maybe a thought like that rises up in you, a critical thought, something critical to say. One of the things that would be good to be good to do is the moment you start to feel critical about somebody else and you think to say something critical or do something critical about something else, turn a mirror on yourself and begin to examine your own life. And the moment you see something that you would criticize, put a mirror on it and say, What, what, what in my life needs to change? What are some things in my life that literally need a lot of work? And then begin to pray, Lord, help me, help me with this, help me with my anger issues, help me with my, whatever it might be that you're dealing with. You know, help me here, help me to be more faithful in my devotional time, help me to be somebody who uh, loves what you love and hates what you hate. You know, whatever it might be, the moment you feel that critical spirit rising up on the inside of you, pull the mirror out and put it on your own life and get introspective and say, Lord, what can change in me? What is it that you could do to make me more like you? How can I take steps to become more like Jesus? Because notice this, that's called meekness. That's called humility. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace, more favor to the humble. You see that, if we will stay humble, Such a great thought from Pastor West Falloon. You can't build when you're using the claw side of the hammer. That's some good old Maine wisdom right there. That's a Rooster County wisdom from Pastor West Falloon. You can't build when you're using the claw side of the hammer. You're just destroying, you're tearing down. And so get introspective and say, Lord, what is it that I need to do to become uh, more like you? What things can be removed from my life? What needs to be added to my life? The moment you feel like criticizing somebody else, turn it on yourself and bring the criticism home and say, what what can I do to become greater? See, because I'll, I'll tell you another thing. We were talking a minute ago about habits, daily prayer, daily Bible reading. Another thing that's great is daily introspection. Every day. If you if you'll engage in daily introspection, then you will never allow yourself to just be let go. You'll let yourself go. You ever heard that term or something? Like, man, he really let himself go. You ever heard that? Again, that's a critical thought. But you know, you say, he really. What does that mean? They just went for an extended period of time without caring about any parameters. Just went and ate however they want, lived however they want, didn't exercise. Just let it. Let everything go what happened? They took the parameters off their life and just let everything go into cruise control mode and it brings you into chaos. And so the key is if you'll have daily introspection, looking at yourself daily, what, what, what is it about me that I can change today? What can I get better at today? You'll never get to that place. You'll never get to that place. And so take the log out of your own eye before you go to reach for the speck, turn the mirror on yourself and get introspective. The moment you feel a critical spirit rising up, turn it towards yourself and say, what can I change? And in fact, if you've got people in your life like that, first of all, rebuke them in love and say, we're we're not tearing people down here. We don't do that. In fact, many that I I know that are watching uh, ministries, even that I know that are watching uh, have built. A culture of honor. It's a big thing. It's an important thing. A culture of honor. We don't tear one another down, we build one another up. We build one another up. Anybody that I've ever seen that is constantly, now hear me when I say this because it's very important. Anybody that I've ever seen that stays constantly condescending, critical, hard to get along with, they stay very small in their influence. Remember this, they stay very small, very small in their influence. They can touch almost nobody. They have a small, small impact on the world. Anybody that's critical, anybody that's condescending, anybody that's, if, if I see, if I've seen ministries like that, they stay small. They stay, God doesn't allow ministries like that, people like that to have large impact. You know why? He loves his sheep. (laughs) He keeps them from abuse, loves his sheep. People that are like that remain very, very small. You know why? It comes out of a place of pride. When you speak condescendingly to people, when you're critical all the time of other people, that comes from a place of pride, and pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the, a fall. God does not allow ministries and people like that to flourish. He resists the proud and gives more grace to the humble. If you want to ensure that you have no or little impact, if you want to ensure that your circle remains very small, and I'm talking about your production circle, what you're able to do in this world for God, just be condescending and critical all the time. God will make sure nobody's attached to you. <laughs> There was a great message preached about how you can be qualified or disqualified from being a spiritual father later on in life. These are some things that are talked about. Be short all the time. Have no patience for people. Have no love for people. Be condescending. Be abusive. You want to ensure that you never do anything for the Lord. Make sure that you have those things in your life. Number four, So number one, the comparing Christian, number two, the compromising Christian, number three, the critical Christian, number four, the carnal Christian. Let's talk about that. The carnal Christian. This is, this is a hard one because it keeps you from being able to grow in the kingdom of God. Can't grow as a carnal Christian. And Paul actually was very frustrated about this. He wrote to the Corinthians. You've heard me teach probably many times that the Corinthian church was the least mature church in all of the new Testament. They had issues upon their issues. They had problems upon their problems, carnal Christians. And he writes to them in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter three. And uh, I'll read you a few verses there. First Corinthians chapter three. Listen to what Paul says. This frustrated him. But I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way. And I'm again, this is what I referenced a moment ago. For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, aren't you being merely human? So notice what he's saying. You got a lot of carnal people in your church and they're baby Christians. Listen, everyone's a baby at one time or another, but you can't stay a baby your whole life. (laughs) You have to grow. And Paul was irritated with them because they refused to grow. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Teresa, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So Paul's irritated because he said, you guys are refusing to grow. Matt, you can turn me down a little bit on the mixer must've been a girl on this before me or a kid. <laughs> huh? At the very bottom or it's the volume. It's, I think I'm number one. So a carnal Christian, just a little bit. Thank you. A carnal Christian is somebody that literally adheres to their flesh nature over their spirit nature. Paul dealt with this in the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, he, remember he talks about chapter five. He breaks down the uh, fruit of the flesh, and then the fruit of the spirit. Remember, we of course we've covered the fruit of the spirit before, but Paul's dealing with the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. You know if somebody's a carnal Christian by what type of fruit is coming out of their life. In fact, I'll go there because um, it's important to see because he lists them both back to back so that you can see what fruit of the spirit look like and what fruit of the flesh look like. And a carnal Christian is somebody that's always producing fruit of the flesh. Listen to this, Uh, Galatians chapter five and verse 16 is where I'll start. Listen now, but I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. So what are the works of the flesh? They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. You know, he goes on through these, all of these works of the flesh. He's saying this, this is what you'll produce. If you're led by the flesh, carnal led by the flesh, carnal led by the flesh, flesh, carnal. But then he's, you, of course, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance against such. There is no law. So what he's saying is, If you're led by the spirit, you'll produce God kind of fruit. And if you're led by the flesh, you will be led by flesh kind of fruit or produce flesh kind of fruit. And so, so here's the deal. We're talking about carnal Christians. These are Christians that literally seem to not care about being led by the spirit. And I don't mean by even in decisions, I'm talking about just in personality they don't care about walking in love. They don't care about having joy. They don't care about walking in peace with other people. They don't care about patience, gentleness, goodness. They don't care about those things. They want to do what makes their flesh feel good, and that's it. Don't you dare judge me, because who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. That's the kind of that's the kind of genera- generation we live in. Nobody wants to be judged, when in fact, when in fact, Paul taught that we can judge other people. I always love this because, you know, people think that if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to judge. Well, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. The Bible says this, uh, if basically the, what Jesus is saying, judge, not lest you be judged. It's saying that if you will judge others, you also will be judged. So be ready for it. So Paul makes this very clear when he's talking about the man in Corinth who's uh, way out of line. And this is what he says. It's not right for me to judge outside of the church. But if we're talking about inside of the church, most definitely we should judge inside of the church. And of course, Paul was a leader in the church Let me see if I can uh, find that for you. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12 and 13. Now listen to this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Now with outsiders, he's talking about sinners. Because sinners are outside the church. He said, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you Are to judge. You see that? That's First Corinthians five, twelve. Five, twelve. Is it not those inside the church that you should judge? Verse 13 God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So notice that. If we were going to spend our time judging sinners, we'd be judging twenty four seven because sinners aren't going to stop sinning and and they'll be judged for their sin. If I was going to just sit around and judge sinners all day long, I'd have I wouldn't have a free second to do anything else but judge sinners. And Paul said, I don't have anything to do with judging sinners. I don't that's not my job. God will judge them. However, those inside the church are to be judged, for what they are or are not doing. That's why if if there's an issue inside the church, it's to be settled inside the church. Do you realize there should never be a time, Paul, Paul even said this, it is a shameful thing if a Christian has to sue another Christian in court. It's a shameful thing. That's what Paul said. He said, it's absolutely shameful. It is a slap in the face to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a Christian has to sue another Christian in court to get their matters settled, he said, you literally think we should have to go to the world to be able to settle matters amongst ourselves. What a, what a slap in the face to the love of God, to humility and to meekness that we have to have some sinner that sits on a bench judge between two Christians because they won't walk in love enough towards each other to get the things settled and handled. It's a slap in the face. It's a total slap. You know what? They're being carnal. They're being carnal. They're willing to do things to each other that are, what, uh, no integrity financially, whatever it might be. It's a shameful thing. We should be able to handle. You know what the Bible says the proper way to do it is? If you have something against your brother, you're to go to him personally, not write it on Facebook, right? Not write it on Facebook, not vaguely worded posts on social media, not DM everybody that you know, did you hear what so-and-so did to me? That's not the way to handle it according to the Bible. You go to them privately and personally first. If you've got a problem with somebody that's a Christian, You go to them privately and personally first. The Bible says if they then will not hear you or they don't receive it, you bring back witnesses that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you say, listen, I'm, I'm, I've got these people here. So they know I'm doing my best to reconcile with you. Here's two, three witnesses. And it's not even until then that you bring it to spiritual leadership, right? I I shouldn't have to bother my pastor every time I've got an issue with a brother or sister in the body of Christ. I should go to them, talk to them, talk it out, be humble, be meek, be gentle, right? Don't, don't bring that worldly, uh, stuff into the, into the church. I ain't taking no crap from nobody. Don't bring that stuff into the church. That's not, that's pride. That's not humility. You hear what she said about me? I ain't taking no crap off of nobody. I'll I'll tell her, I will give her a piece of my mind. Don't, don't bring that into the house of God. Gentleness, meekness, it's the fruit of the spirit. Be willing to bear one another's burdens. Notice, notice this, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to make room for one another's faults. So the Bible giving us a heads up, other people will be faulty. (laughs) There will be some faulty people in the body. You be prepared for it and then make room for it. Create a buffer. Create a buffer. Do this. Understand that we're all striving for perfection. Striving to be just like Jesus. Striving to be just like the Father. Be perfect even as your Father is perfect. We're striving for that. But also know that not everybody is there yet. So... The Bible tells us create a buffer between your feelings and everybody else's humanity. I want to I want to teach this for a minute. Create a buffer between everybody else's humanity and your feelings and understand people are going to make mistakes. People are going to do the wrong thing. People are going to, right? The Bible teaches it. So make room for one another's faults. That's what the Bible teaches. Make room for one another's faults. You say, well, do you mean that I shouldn't expect the best out of everybody? I'm saying that people are human. And I'm saying, yes, in one sense, don't expect the best out of everybody. Hope the best for everyone. Believe the best about everyone. But if something happens... Don't be so on that expectation of perfection that you're devastated because somebody did something that offended you or or said something that hurt your feelings. Make a buffer, build a buffer and understand, I don't care how much you love the person, he's human, she's human. Even with your pastor, people leave the church over the stupidest things. They leave the church over the dumbest stuff. Well, I don't know what the pastor said, the pastor said this. you know what the pastor said on Sunday? Who cares? Create a buffer. Know that your leaders are also humans who will make mistakes. Create a buffer, walk in love, pray for those. That's all you got to do. Then you'll never be destroyed by somebody's misstep. I can't believe how many people are destroyed because somebody that they know had a misstep said one thing or did one thing. Create a buffer, make room for one another's faults. The Bible says that's what you do. That's what you do. And in, in that way, you'll never be devastated by somebody's humanity. It's not hard to do. It's very easy. It's very easy to do. You see. And so, that's right, buffering. That's exactly what you call it, buffering. Yeah, Pastor, Do you see how Pastor looked at me on Sunday when he was preaching on that? He was, I know he was talking about me. People get all bent out of shape. Pastor was looking at you. But he wasn't thinking, I can tell you right off the bat, they're not thinking about you. <laughs> they're trying to preach their message. Brittany said, what does it look like when a buffer is created? Can you give an example? Sure. Molly Molly said, how much room or buffer do you give a pastor? Obviously, if they're living in sin, it's a whole other story. But you know, if they, if they say something or whatever that you felt offended by it, Get over yourself, get over yourself, get over your flesh and just continue to serve the Lord. Um, what does it look like? Yeah, you don't write them off immediately. That's right, Tyra. So the question is, what do we do? How do you create that buffer? What does it practically look like? It looks like this. It looks like this. I never get so, um, what's the best way to say it, familiar in, in a way that's like, I'm so close with somebody that anything they would say or do would devastate me. And this is, this is a, a hard thing to teach Christians, but I'm going to teach it to you anyway, cause you're the victory tribe. It's not that I'm expecting the worst of everybody. It's just that I understand people are human. And so I create a buffer in this way. Um, Man, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this into words because it sounds weird to say it, but it's like, it's not like you just sit around and expect the plan for the worst and expect the best. It's just like, I, I'm never going to hold somebody in such a high regard that I could be devastated by something they said to me or something they did like I'm thinking of people right now that are my friends, that if they literally um, wrote me off, I don't care, they could publicly go online and bash me. And I'd, I, I have to, I'd have to imagine myself to a place where it's like, you know what? Wouldn't matter to me anyway. Wouldn't matter to me anyway. You, you have, in one, in one sense I would teach it like this, hold your friends very loosely. Anybody that's on this broadcast that's ever understood what it's like, if, if, if a friend walks away from you, if somebody stops talking to you, if somebody leaves you behind or whatever it might be, and you think to yourself, you know what, I was devastated at the time, but it's, it's like you, it's like you build up a resistance to that. My, my recommendation for those that are watching is to think that way towards like, you know what, I, I have an expectation. It's like, how would I respond almost in an expectation way. How would I respond if this person just completely uh uh turned their back on me, talked bad about me? Am I gonna let that am I gonna let that destroy my whole life? Or do I understand that my fulfillment, my purpose is not in that person liking me, is not in that person speaking well of me or being my best friend. Right? So the reason I say that is because even the Bible says Uh, beware when all men speak well of you, there's going to be time. Plenty of people are going to not speak well of you. Plenty of people. Um, and you just have to, you have to understand I'm creating a buffer. I'm not going to let somebody, yeah, it's a thick skin. Sandra said it well, it's a thick skin. I'm not going to let that destroy me or, 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 you know, ruin my life or whatever. But also if I have an issue with somebody, I'm going to go to them personally. I'm going to go to them personally. I'm going to talk to them privately first. Do you know, let me just stop and say this before we move on. Cause I got three more for you. Do you know how many things in the body of Christ would just be done? If the person would have just gone to the other person, do you realize how many things never would have continued if instead of sharing it with your whole family or sharing it with your friends or writing it on Facebook or what all the other stuff, if you'd have just gone to the person and squashed the beef. Literally stuff would not continue. It would not continue. I mean, literally, or if you just didn't get, or if you just didn't get offended at all, how about this? Somebody says something to you or about you that you came back to, you found out about it and you say, you know what? I'm not even going to be offended and I'm not even going to address it because people are human. I understand people say stuff, people do stuff and you know what will happen? Many times you start, keep walking in love towards that person and they'll know they're out. It's actually a shame to them. It's shameful to them. And they feel your love keep coming to them that you didn't avoid them and that you didn't get mad and that you didn't get, you know, a lot of times they'll come back to you and apologize. Yeah. I don't know if you even heard this, but I I had said something about you. I shouldn't have said, yeah, that's all right. (laughs) It's fine. Didn't bother me a bit. It's a very hard thing to offend me. I'm going to tell you right now. It's very, very hard to offend me (laughs) and you gotta live like that. If you'll just keep yourself from the trap of offense and if you'll keep things between the people they're between, stop bringing other people into your hurts. Stop bringing other people into your problems. Why would you want to make a problem bigger? Why would you want to do that? It's like saying, oh man, you know what? I got a paper cut on my hand last night. Hand me that, hand me that buck knife. I want to make this a little bit bigger. And just cutting all around the paper cut and putting a massive gash in your hand. There you go, there you go, that's a bigger wound. Why would you want, why would you want to create a bigger gash, a bigger wound, instead of just dealing with the small thing and it's it's done. That's what people do when they pull all these other people into their problems. Well, did you hear what she said? Did you hear what he did? You know know. know what they're doing? They're making the wound bigger. Stop making the wound bigger. Deal with it. Get it out the door and it's over. It's completely over. It destroys churches. It destroys families. It destroys friends. Yeah. That's exactly it. Ben Foles said, if you can't fix the problem, there's money to be made in prolonging it. If you you just do this, think about how many churches would continue to be together if people just learned to walk in love and humility and deal with the problem where it is. Rachel says, how do you accomplish that when you're a very empathetic person naturally? The way you accomplish it, Rachel, is by uh, obeying the instructions of the Word of God. You can't be so empathetic that you take on other people's offenses. Right. Well, I don't like the way he was treated. That was wrong. He was wrong. Don't do that. There's a, there is a time where you're just like, not my business, (laughs) not my business. People can deal with their own stuff. They don't need 19 people behind them cheering on the fight. It's like, you ever remember when we used to go to school and two people would start getting real hot about something that they start going back and forth. And then all the people start chanting around fight, 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 fight. We don't need the 19 people chanting, fight, fight, fight in the church. We don't need the people that really, and I'm not saying this is you because I'm not, I'm not at all saying that, but there are people that will, uh, that will disguise their love for drama with strong empathy. And I'm not saying that you trust me. I'm not, I'm not saying that towards you, but I'm giving you a warning because there are people who disguise their love for drama under empathy. Well, I just didn't like the way they were treated. It hurt me to see them being treated. No, no. You just like to see people fight. You just like to see people stir it up. Why do you think there's such a high rating on shows like the Real Housewives shows? Because people like to watch people flip tables at dinner. People like to watch people throw glasses of water in other people's faces. People like to see people get in fights. Why do you think these, these things on, you know, you go on, on YouTube and there's these videos with millions of views watching best, best, uh, street fight knockouts and somebody at a grocery store got pushed by somebody else. and The guy just rocks their world and knocks them out cold. Why do you think there people like to see drama? People like to see conflict, you know, people thrive on conflict. It's what makes a good story. Do you know when they teach you writing, when they teach you how to write fiction? Dean Koontz, who wrote probably some of the best, um, uh, most New York Times bestsellers of all times. You know, what, you know what his number one thing was? I'm gonna cover that next, Pastor Rhonda. Uh, one of the be- first things he said about writing great fiction, first thing, take your main character and as soon as possible, plunge them into problems. Why? People like conflict. That's that word he used, plunge them into conflict. People like to read about, hear about, watch conflict. Without conflict, there's no story. How great of a story would David and Goliath be if, if David just came out on the battlefield and hugged him and they became best friends? It's not a great story. The great story is that the giant is bullying the nation and the nation comes up with a young boy that nobody thinks and he kills him. I mean, that's the story. And our flesh craves, our flesh craves drama. So, don't hide your love for drama under the title of empathy. Well, I just, I didn't like the way he was being treated. I don't like, Pastor Rhonda Spencer said, another one that we deal with is becoming offended for our children. Well, I didn't like the way my children were treated in that youth group. Well, I didn't like the way they weren't using her to sing. And she, you knew she had a singing gift. People get all bent out of shape for their kids or on their kids' behalf. Don't allow those things to take you into a place where you're a carnal, Christian, carnal Christian. Number uh, five, let me give it to you. So first a comparing Christian, number two, a compromising Christian, number three, a critical Christian, number four, a carnal Christian, number five, a careless Christian. Avoid a careless Christian. What type of carelessness are we talking about? A carelessness for the lost. I'm talking about Christians that have no care about the lost. A careless Christian. Why? Because Jesus is coming very soon. He's coming very soon. Let me quickly read to you. Matthew chapter nine. Jesus is dealing with this with his disciples. Matthew nine, 36 through 39. Listen to this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Don't be a careless Christian and don't allow yourself to hang with careless Christians because you'll become like they are. If you've got somebody that could care less about the lost, Couldn't care less about salvation. Couldn't care less about evangelism. Don't make it a habit of making that person your closest friend. Don't have them in your life because their apathy will become your apathy. We just dealt with empathy, but now their apathy will become your apathy. Oh, I don't care. Somebody else will get them. Somebody else will reach them. Somebody else will get to them. That is the mindset of many people in the church today. Somebody will get to them. Somebody will get, somebody, it ain't me, you know, I I ain't doing it. That's not my gift. Dangerous. Doesn't care about people being saved. And somebody asked in the comments a moment ago, what if all these describe a spiritual leader? Then you need to find yourself another spiritual leader. Because let me tell you, if you've got a spiritual leader that doesn't care about the lost, I would question whether or not they're even saved. That's harsh. I know that's harsh, but how can you be a spiritual leader in the body of Christ and not care about the lost? It makes me wonder if the heart of God is even in you at all, when it's not just spiritual leaders that are called to win the lost, but every Christian is called to win the lost. How can we be careless Christians in the final moments of time as we see these things all taking place while the world is still blinded? The Bible says that, that the, 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 there's a blindness. Their eyes are closed. The, the things of God are foolishness unto them. They're waiting on us to complete the great commission and to preach the gospel to them. But we won't do it if we don't have an urgency and a love for the lost. That's why those things have to be in our spirits have to be in our spirits. We have to go into all the world and care enough to say something. Don't be careless. Be careful. Don't be careless. Be careful. I care about the lost. You care. I'm, I'm talking to the victory tribe today. I know you care about the lost. You don't only, You're listen, this is how much I know you care about them. You're not just Uh, speaking the truth. I don't, I don't just get testimonies. Hey, so-and-so, my friend got saved my best. I just invited two of my coworkers to church and they got saved. I don't, uh, I don't just get those kind of testimonies, but you are also sowing into winning the lost. So I know you care about them. I'm warning you to be careful of people in your life that don't have any care for those that are dying and on their way to hell. Scroll back up one. I just missed. Uh, the question was, how do you handle family members who act like this? Maybe the way to do it is to continually bring it up verbally when you're in their presence about how much, how, you know, how important it is. That's good. You can go back down. How important it is that we are going after those that don't know Jesus. Maybe share your experiences of, Hey, you know, I talked to my coworker the other day. She got saved. She's coming to church this Sunday. Just talking about it, bringing it up constantly till it's either gets on their nerves Enough, convicts them enough to get a a heart for the lost, a love for the lost. And many people, they don't because they're not really on fire for God. They're not really on fire for God. They don't care. The reason is because they've allowed themselves to grow calloused. And that leads me to number six, a chameleon Christian. So number one, comparing Christian. Number two, a compromising Christian Number three, a critical Christian. Number four, a carnal Christian. Number five, a careless Christian. And number six, a chameleon Christian. Mackenzie asks, what does it sound like when a Christian doesn't care about the lost? I don't think someone would just flat out admit it. It's very true, but you can see it from the fruit of their life. You can see it that they don't care enough to ever talk to anybody about Jesus. They have never brought anybody to church. They don't Uh, when they're outside of church, they don't talk about Jesus. Part of it is you can see like this, what I'm getting ready to deal with in number six, it's a chameleon Christian is that they are whoever, when I say a chameleon Christian, what I mean by that is they just start to look like whoever they're around. This is annoying to me, beyond annoying. This is beyond annoying that people just start to look like whoever they're around at the moment. If I come to a Pentecostal church, you know, I'm all Pentecostal and excited about Jesus like everybody else around me. But if I go out, if I'm around dead people, then I'm I'm dead too. You know, and, and really would take the, taking on the opinions of anybody that's around you. So if you're around people that are like, let's say you're, you're in your Sunday morning church, you know, everybody's speaking in tongues and shouting and you're ju- dancing, shouting, jumping, lifting your hands, crying, and then you get to work and you get around people that start mocking the things of God, start mocking. You know, I, I know that sure down there, they're, they're down there talking in tongues and rolling on the floor, and I'm sure, like, yeah, that's you know that's crazy. I, you know, you start taking on the opinions of those you're around. You're you're weak. A chameleon Christian is one of the weakest things you could ever be, because it means you've got no backbone to be who you are in any environment. I don't care. You know, I don't. One of the things that I, that. Uh, I have to say is I, could, I couldn't stomach the thought of being, at, and I go to all different places and I go to places that aren't like me sometimes. and I mean, it's like, you know, they may, may not have experienced that type of church or that type of Christianity or whatever. I don't uh, mold what I do uh, to be more palatable to people that aren't used to it. You know, I've been to places that they've not had Pentecostal church services in years. I've been to places where that's their norm. I've been I've been around people. You think I get around sinners and be like, you know, well, do you really believe in all that? You know, you believe in all that prosperity. You really believe in all that speaking in tongues. You really believe that. You really believe in healing. Absolutely, I believe it. You think I would ever water it down because I got approached by somebody in a restaurant and they're like, "Uh, are you one of those guys that really preaches? You really believe it? Yes, I believe it. Of course, I do. I can give you 25 reasons why I do. And, and, and that's why it's so important to have the word of God in you because you're supposed to be able to give an answer. First Peter three 15, be able to give an answer to those that have questions regarding the hope that's in you, but do so with gentleness and respect. The Bible says, but I'm not, I refuse to be a, a chameleon, you know, I, and I see preachers like this, that depending on the environment that they're in, you know, they completely change who they are. You know, they're seeker sensitive when they're in a seeker sensitive church. They, they don't care. They don't speak in tongues. If they're going to a place where there's a lot of Baptists or whatever, they, they don't focus on that. They are just focus on Jesus brother. And then, you know, they go to some place for the Pentecostal and they become Pentecostal and they go to some places. Where it's like enough already. Just be who God created you to be. Don't just be who God created you to be. And don't worry. Don't worry about what people may think about it. That's a stupid way to live. Um, Someone said, how would you approach a person like this? You have to find them first. <laughs> you have to find them first. Yeah, it's exactly right. Alex, Alex, scroll up, Alex said, it's, it's interesting that Peter wrote that because he was unable to give an answer around the campfire. That's right. That servant girl asked him, Aren't you one of those? You're a Galilean. You have the accent of a Galilean. He swore that he didn't know Jesus. And then later he wrote, after being filled with the Holy Ghost, and wrote his epistle to the churches in Asia Minor. And he said, Make sure that you're always ready to give an answer uh, to those that have a question about the hope that lies within you. It's very true. But Peter also had these problems. I will point out, Alex, this is where I'm going. Galatians chapter 2, Peter at the beginning of his ministry, he was still dealing with these chameleon problems because this is the reason that the apostle Paul, uh, withstood him to the face. The Bible says they had a strong disagreement because Peter was doing exactly what I'm talking about right now. And Paul had to rebuke him to his face. Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face. I want to show you this. Galatians chapter 2. Uh, listen to this, verse 11. Galatians 2:11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. That's the Jews and the rest of the Jews, uh, acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter before all of them, if you, though a Jew live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew how can you force the gentiles to live like Jews so you think about this after the after the time where he's gone to Cornelius's house and preached to the Italians and they all got saved and filled with the holy ghost and now Peter is intimidated by the Jewish Christians you know and uh, he was eating with the gentiles and all that then he's trying to force people uh, you know there's p- people trying to force people to come back under circumcision again and Paul has to teach salvation's not through circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. It's not the law. We're not under the law anymore. And Peter was all intimidated because there was guys that were all, you know, all the Jewish guys that are used to the law coming around. Now he starts to separate himself uh, from, from, the, uh, from the Gentile believers. And Paul's like, that's ridiculous. Don't be, don't be a chameleon. Oh, when you know, when there were no Jews here, I was just like the Gentiles, but now the Jews are around. I'm gonna be more like a Jew. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Don't be a chameleon. Be who God uh, commanded you to be. Um, So Mackenzie asks, how does the whole, I become all things to all men that I might win more of them thing apply to this. So what does Paul say? Paul's dealing with um, people that are weaker in faith. And so let's say, for example, Paul makes the uh, argument at one point, what if now, all things are lawful, right? So I'm, I'm not restricted by the law anymore, but what if I come around a person who their conscience, uh, okay, I'll give you a a really good uh, example here. Paul says, what if I get around a person who eating or drinking certain things, it, it really affects their conscience. They're convicted by it. That's not necessarily a sin to eat or drink those things, but he said, you know what I'll do if I'm with them? If that would cause one of those little ones to stumble and actually act against their own conscience, I will do what they do that they're convicted about, even though I'm not convicted about it. I'm not convicted about either eating or drinking those things, but because they are, you know what I'll do? I'll do, I'll, I'll live like they're living because I know that they're convicted by it. So I'm not gonna do things that I know I could do that would make someone else stumble. I don't wanna do that. And so I'm going to live in such a way that other people don't stumble. I'll give you an example. Tattoos are a great example. There are some people, there are some cultures in the world that if you traveled to preach and they saw a tattoo on you, they'd shut right down, Whoop! shut right down, wouldn't receive a thing from you. And you may not. You may not have any at all um, conviction about having a tattoo, but what if you were to go to somebody who has a great conviction about it, and if they saw that you had one, would be completely shut down from hearing the gospel preached from you, and would not be able to receive anything from the Lord, because the vessel that stands before them has something that brings great conviction to their heart. Would you be willing to completely cover yourself in order to minister for the Lord, even though there's nothing you say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't have any conviction about it. Okay. But they do. So will you become all things to all men? Would you be willing? What if they, like, for example, uh, eating some meat or something and that literally, you know, they, they felt like when they ate, that is convicting to their spirit. Would you be willing to be willing to just ate what they, eat, what they ate? Because if you didn't and you ate what they felt wrong about eating, it would cause their conscience to be seared and they feel convicted because they ate something they felt like they shouldn't have or drank something they feel like they shouldn't have. Right? Are you willing to become all things to all men? Are you to win some? See that? To win some. I want to be able to win as many as I can. Amen. And so we, we become all things to all men in that way. But it's on the good side, not the bad side. I'm doing it if there's people that are convicted by something. I want to go more towards their convictions than I do to try to pull them away from their convictions. You should never try to get somebody to violate their personal convictions. It's wrong. Never try to get somebody to violate their personal convictions. Why would you want to pull somebody away from pleasing the Lord with their life? I don't, I never understood that these people that are always want to push their christian liberties on other people it never ends well don't ask somebody to violate what the holy spirit's convicting them about don't become don't become that person let me give you the final final one now so number 1 a comparing christian number 2 a compromising christian number 3 a critical christian four carnal christian five careless christian six chameleon christian And then let me give you number seven, the final one. Number seven, a covetous Christian. Stay away from covetous Christians. Second Timothy three again, stay away from covetous. I got to break this down to you. Listen to this. This is going to blow your mind. Uh, Brittany said, so that doesn't apply to a person who is one minute greatly Pentecostal, next minute not. No, that's, that's the other side of it. That's the bad side of, of being a chameleon, of just being, ever. you know, there'll be Pentecostal one moment, and then if you're over here mocking Pentecostals, you're over here mocking it with them. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know what they do. That. You know, doesn't hold any firm belief and stay on their principles. But on the good side, I am willing to adapt my life to those who have a conviction about something I may not have. A Christian liberty. I'm willing to adapt myself so that their conscience is not seared or, or you know, burnt. 2 Timothy 3 1 through 5. Listen, but understand this in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> if that's not today, right now, it never has been. Literally, all of the stuff we're seeing now? Selfies. It's not just a selfie, but most people, and I should say a lot of people, I don't know if it's most, they will filter their selfie through maybe two, three apps before they post it. I'm guilty of it, I've done it myself. Filter it through multiple apps before they'll post it and present it to other people. (laughs) Lovers of self, lovers of money. Lovers of money. Hmm. I'll stop there. Lovers of money. These are covetous people. Don't get caught up with those that are lovers of money. Why? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Bible tells us that money's not evil, but loving money is. Loving money is. What did Alex say? Got to get that. Beach Vibes filter on it. Heard that? (laughs) Oh, yes. Absolutely. I'm going to open it up right now, make sure I get myself a good selfie. Yes. You got to get through that Visco, man. Got to get your favorite filters on Visco. Perfect amount of grain. Whiten those teeth. (laughs) Don't be lovers of money. See, God doesn't mind blessing his, his people with money. He wants to financially bless his people. He doesn't, on the other hand, want money to run his people. He doesn't want his people to ever become lovers of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil, all kinds of evil. And so here's what you find in the last days. You've got people in the body of Christ that don't want to even do the basic thing. They don't even want to tithe, let alone give above and beyond a tithe, let alone bless the poor, let alone bless the men and women of God. And I am gonna tell you, all these things are a test of your heart. There's people that don't want to honor the Lord with their finances. I tell people this because I understand, trust me, I do, I do plenty of study, plenty of study. I'm always studying something topically or some way or another, I'm studying every day deeply. So I, I know, I listen, I'm not one of these guys that's stuck in a Pentecostal bubble where I only know what Pentecostals believe and have no other, no understanding of what any other, uh, uh, Christian group believes or, or whatever. I study all sides of this. I understand that there is a great debate in the body of Christ. Um, on whether or not tithing is a New Testament thing. I understand that, people argue it all the time. Of course, I believe there is, and I believe you can easily prove that there is, but I understand that there's an argument. So for those, rather than, let let me say it this way, rather than taking all the time to argue the whole thing out with them and to show them, let me just ask it in this way, and I've posted it this way before. If you truly don't believe that tithing is for New Testament Christians, when, by the way, uh, non-Pentecostal, cessationist, reformed theologian, R.C. Sproul, the great R.C. Sproul, even believed that tithing continued on into the New Testament. Uh, and you talk about a theologian, he was one. But aside from all that, let's say you don't believe tithing is a New Testament principle. Remember something. Those in the Old Testament that were God's people, They didn't only tithe, they gave freewill offerings above and beyond their tithe and took care of the poor. So let me ask you a question for anybody that may, or here's a question you could ask people that don't believe in tithing. We are now under a better covenant established upon better promises. We have the blood of Jesus, which is something Old Testament saints did not have we've got redemption, we have have a covenant with Christ, our sins have been removed, we've got it far better. We have far better benefits under this new covenant than they did under the old. So here's the question. How could you ever let somebody who had a worse covenant with God under worse times do more for God in giving than you're willing to do under a better covenant? Let me ask that. That's the question that really needs to be in our spirits. How could I let Old Testament saints who didn't have the blood of Jesus, who didn't have redemption, who didn't have their sins removed, who didn't have all the wonderful things we have, how can I let them outgive me? How can I let them outgive me? If they gave 10 plus 10%, plus offerings, plus took care of the poor, how can I let them under a worse covenant, outgive me in a better covenant. Even if you don't, even, doesn't it make you laugh that all the people that are like, you know, I don't believe tithings for today. Okay. If you truly don't believe that, isn't it funny that all those people choose to give like 3% or 4% of their income? Do you ever notice that there's nobody that's like, hey, you know, I don't believe tithings for today and that's why I give 25% of my income. <laughs> <laughs> You ever notice that it's never like, yeah, I don't believe in tithing because I give 25%. It's never the over and above. It's always like, yeah, I don't believe tithings for today. And so I give 2%. I give 1%. (laughs) It's always, I don't believe that as an excuse to not give. That shows you where somebody's heart's at. It shows you they failed the test of stewardship. They have failed the test of love for God. They failed it. They failed it. And so rather than trying to argue the doctrine, this might help some of you that are always people are always trying to say that to you. You know, why don't you guys always talk about tithing? Your church always talks about tithing and I don't believe in tithing. And how come I tith- start sounding like Rain Man? Yeah, definitely tithing. Yeah, t- 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 definitely tithing. Definitely, definitely tithing. <laughs> What's the thing that keeps you from going to our church? Yeah, t- definitely tithing. T- yeah, definitely, definitely tithing, tithing. Dad said I could stop tithing. Definitely tithing. <laughs> it's like they never don't believe in tithing to uh, give more. It's always to give less. And so the question is, how are you going to let somebody in an old covenant with old promises with worse, worse covenant? How are you going to let them out give you? And now we got the blood. Now we got redemption. Now we got a covenant, better promises, be- better everything. And we're going to do less for God than they did in the Old Testament. I don't think so. I don't think so. The tithe is basic. Thank you, Sandra. The tithe is basic. Nobody should brag about tithing. That's let me tell you how basic it is. You should not never brag about tithing. It's as basic as hearing an adult brag about tying their shoes. (laughs) That's like hearing an adult brag about tying their shoes. Can you imagine coming to work, getting around the water cooler? You guys got to hear this, come here. You're not gonna believe it. Today, got up and uh, put my shoes on with literally no help from my wife, no help from my kids, tied them. Tied them by myself. Look at them right now, they're tied stayed tied. You know why? Double knotted them. Double knotted them by myself. That's as, that's as dumb as bragging that you tied your shoes. I tithe. I tithe, brother. Basic. Basic. Hashtag basic. Somebody put it in the comments. Hashtag basic. It ain't nothing to brag about. There's nothing to brag about as basic, It's basic. I wiped my own bum today. <laughs> Maddie's he's laughing in the back. I did my number twos, wiped my own bum. Didn't even have to call my wife. Didn't have to call any kids. Did it myself. Yeah. Basic. <laughs> Hashtag basic. There's nothing to brag about. I tithe brother. I'm a tither. Great. We should all be tithers. Nothing nothing exciting. It's basic. (laughs) Basic. We're called to be generous. Generous. Let me say something. You haven't even begun to give any offerings whatsoever until you've completed your tithe. You've not given any offerings at all until you've completed your tithe. So don't be going around saying, I'm a giver. If you give 3% to the Lord, you're not a giver. You're a robber. (laughs) You're not a giver. You're a thief. Amen. And we, we brag about basic stuff. Don't get around covetous Christians covet. And let me say, especially in the United States of America and Canada, Especially in the United States of Canada, America, if Christians refuse to tithe, it's not. Don't come to me and say, "Well, you know, life is hard, brothers." You know, <laughs> life's not hard in in America and in the and in Canada. It's not hard. You don't know what a hard life is. People in North America have never ever experienced a hard life financially. These are two countries, and now I'm kind of wondering about Canada. It's become kind of like China, but. Don't tell me in the United States of America that you've experienced a hard financial life when they tell us that the the majority of Americans are in credit card debt. You know why they're in credit card debt? Because they're poor stewards. Poor stewards. It's because they they want to live beyond their means, and they don't steward what God's given them, and they have to have it right now, and they don't have self-control. And now they tell us that if the average American had an emergency of $500, that the majority of them, 90 some percent of them, would have to put that emergency on a credit card because the average American doesn't have 500 extra dollars to pay that emergency bill. And I'm just being very strong at the end of this broadcast because the Victory Tribe needs to hear it. If people, if I ever hear a person say, well, I can't afford to tithe, it shows me that you're so poor at handling your money. You should, literally, you should have somebody from Chick-fil-A come and take a charge of your money for about five months. You'd have such an abundance blow your mind. The reason here in the United States of America that Christians say they can't afford to tithe is because they've strung themselves out on what society has said that they have to buy, that they have to buy, have to buy blows my mind. People go around driving a brand new car. They got a thousand dollar cell phone in their hand. They got brand name sunglasses on stimulus check. You know what? When those stimulus checks came out, every one of us before everybody got their stimulus check should have bought stock in sunglass hut and footlocker. Cause you better believe that that's where the majority of Americans went with their STEMI hashtag STEMI about to hit some new sunglasses up, get some new kicks. Absolutely. Because people are poor stewards of what God's put in their hand. He said, Well, just getting, I need you to pray for me because there's, been, there's literally been an attack on my finances. There ain't been no attack on your finances. It's just bad choices. It's not an attack, it's not a curse, it's not a spiritual, a demon of financial lack trying to. It's a bad choices reaction. And when I hear people say, well, I can't afford to tithe. Yeah, but you can afford to have a thousand dollar cell phone and you can afford to have $300 Yeezys on and you, you, know, you can afford to have brand new Gucci sunglasses. It's, it's funny to me. People have money for what they want to have money for. Pretty said living in the hood with an Escalade. It, it, it blows my mind that people aren't willing to put God first. Listen, put, putting God first doesn't mean when you have the opportunity to put him first, it means making plans to put him first i make plans to put god first i make plans to put god first i would like to see and, and this is true mckenzie said most of americans go tithe, most of americans tithe goes to starbucks i would like to see i wish there was some kind of a, I uh, i wish there was some kind of a statistic on how much the average american spends on starbucks annually i would love to know how much the average American spends on Starbucks annually. That'd be a great statistic. Or the average American spends at Starbucks or just fast food period. That would be a great statistic to have in hand. Great statistic. Because people have money for what they want to have money for. Bottom line, we plan to put God first. We don't put him first when we have the opportunity to do so. We plan to do it. We plan to do it. I plan to tithe. Any money that comes in, we just automatically know 10% of that's going right back out. It's going right back out. I don't even think about it. We don't think about it. We don't say, well, should we tithe this month? Can we afford to tithe? We don't ever think those thoughts. That's stupidity. That's stupidity. If I got money coming in without question, 10% is going back out. 10% is going back out. Plus offerings, offerings that are so big, it'll make the devil pee his pants. My wife and I just sowed the largest one-time offering that we've ever sown in the history of our lives or ministry, and it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. There's coming a day that I will sow a $1 million check into the kingdom of God. I will sow a million dollars in the kingdom. I will. I'm not saying I'm going to be a millionaire. I'll be far beyond that. I'll be sowing a million. Look at that. Google says twelve. dollars Hundred and twenty-one dollars a year on Starbucks. Oh my goodness. $1,200 on fast food. Take that right there. $1,200 on fast food, $1,200 on Starbucks. That's $2,400. I bet you money that the average income annually for the whole nation is $24,000 or right around there. I bet it's 24 to $30,000. There's your tithe right there, McDonald's and Starbucks. Look at that, it's supernatural. How, how you can solve these problems when you cut two very easy things out of your life. Now, let me tell you something, America doesn't need more Starbucks or more McDonald's. I'm living proof that we don't need more fast food in our lives. So understand that? So it's about, and covetous just means that you have a desire To hoard to yourself, to keep back, to hoard to you. I covet things. I want things for me. I want things for me. I want things for me. But see, that's a me first mentality over a God first mentality. I do not want to surround myself with people that put them first instead of God first. I want God first. I want God first. I want God first in every area of my life. I want God first. In every area of my life and so I'm showing you this because the Bible tells us in second Timothy that in the last days we're going to see these types of people avoid these ones the Bible says avoid these ones avoid these ones let me hit it once more number one comparing Christians don't compare yourself with other people don't get like that focus on what you're called to do number two compromising Christians I refuse to compromise the word of God. I hold to his principles. I stand for them. Number three, critical Christians. I'm not going to criticize. I refuse to criticize. I refuse to criticize. I refuse to criticize in Jesus name. Carnal Christians, carnal Christians. Look at that. It is $31,000 is the average income in America. So look at that $24,000 or $2,400 would be very close to an annual tithe mind blowing. Number five, careless Christians. We've got to focus on the lost. Got to get them, got to bring them in. Number six, chameleon Christians. These are people that just become whoever they're around. They don't hold to their principles. They don't hold to what the Bible says. They just become whoever they're around. And finally, covetous Christians, covetous Christians. I'm not putting me first. I'm putting God first. It's a God first mentality. If you'll put him first, he'll put you first. If you put him first, he'll put you first. And I'm going to pray because one thing we need, we need Holy Ghost friends, connections, but we also need to learn to close some doors. There's some people that have been trying to hang on. They've been trying to like govern. Jenny. Jenny. At this point, you have to go back through. We've posted the scriptures. You have to go back through and listen again. Um, But we've quoted every scripture. We posted them. had people post them in the comments. There's people that have tried to hang on. Bad company corrupts good character. No question. Bad company corrupts good character. You can't expect to rise high with people that keep trying to drag you low. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't mean we don't love people and it doesn't mean we don't pray for people and it doesn't mean we don't preach the gospel and it doesn't mean we don't reach out to those that are in need. We do, but I refuse to surround myself with people who don't care about God's principles that don't care about how he wants us to live. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that today God begins to connect you. If you're not already with strong, Holy ghost relationships, And that those that have tried to hang on for so long that refuse to obey the principles of God's word would be severed from your life. Some of them need to just lose your number. I've seen people on here today that I know are new believers that probably have people from their old life that are still trying to pull them back into an old way of living. You've got to sever the ties. If they won't change, they've got to go. They've got to go. Having Holy Ghost connections as your friends is the key. People that will pull you higher. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You should have people in your life that are sharpening your blade, not dulling your blade. That's the key. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for every person in the Victory Tribe that has a heart and a desire to serve you and to obey your word. I pray you not only strengthen us today to do more than we've ever done for your kingdom, but Lord, I pray that you would attach to us Holy Ghost relationships, Holy Ghost friends, people that will pull us higher to a place where we're pleasing you more, not displeasing you. And Lord, for those that the enemy has sent to try to drag us back into the old way of living, to try to get us to displease you with our lives, I pray in Jesus' name that you would remove them from our lives by the power of your spirit sever the ties in Jesus name. Lord, I pray that something even supernatural happens. Let them lose our phone number in Jesus name. We thank you for it. We give you praise. Encourage every one of us, Lord, by your spirit daily to be those that please you with our actions. Let the fruit of our life bring glory to God and please you as we live for you. We're not our own. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so let us honor and glorify God with our bodies. Not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind in Jesus mighty name. And we thank you for it. Amen. If you receive it, throw some fire in the comments section and let me know that you're standing with me today. And let me encourage you back in the studio. I'm encouraging you to sow a seed today. This coming up is going to be the greatest year we've ever had. It's already been that way for us. I've seen so many supernatural things happen already. (laughs) God blessed us. My wife and I, and I, I say this because it's so exciting to me. My father uh, was believing for a brand new tent to preach the gospel and uh, was believing for a certain amount for that tent to be purchased this year. And that, listen to this that tent is going to allow 2,000 people to sit underneath and hear the gospel and see signs, wonders, and miracles and come to Jesus probably now it's going to be the largest gospel tent that will uh, be set up in this nation for crusades. And uh, it'll seat 2000 people. And uh, my wife and I were blessed and we stepped out by faith and sowed the seed and purchased the whole tent uh, for my father for his birthday as a gift on this last camp meeting. I'm so excited about it. So very excited about it. The largest things that have ever happened in America, I believe are going to happen now. We're going to see the loss come in. And I'm encouraging you to stand with us now more than ever as we get ready to see lives changed by the power of God. Encourage you to sow that seed today supernaturally. On the screen, we're going to put you all the ways that you can sow your seed. Of course, you can always go to miracleword.com and sow your seed there. And then also, you can use digital platforms such as Cash app, uh, Venmo, you can use uh, PayPal, You can use um, Zelle now, if you'd like to do a Zelle transfer. Matt, if you can put that lower third up so they can see all the ways they can uh, sow their seed. Thank you. MiracleWord.com, PayPal, Cash App. If you're on um, Facebook or Twitter, you can put hashtag donate in the comments section. But here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to partner with Carolyn and with me as we're preaching the gospel around the world. Did you know, maybe you don't know this, but we're now preaching the gospel weekly in over 180 nations of the world on television. Every single week, touching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and discipling people through the digital discipleship program. And so we've got plans so that our fruit will remain. Hallelujah. And so that's what you're sowing towards is the gospel being preached. And our prayer is that God would attach a thousand people to this ministry that would partner at $85 or more. Many have chosen to do more. We have others that are doing a hundred a month, 200 a month, 500 a month, but here's what I want you to hear. The Holy spirit is speaking to you right now. What can you do? It's funny because we just talked about Starbucks. We just talked about McDonald's things that we don't even think about. If somebody is, um, think of this. If somebody is, Doing $1,200 a year at Starbucks, that's $100 a month. That's $100 a month. What if you put that $100 a month into souls? What if you stood in partnership with this ministry as we're reaching for souls before Jesus comes back? Imagine how God would bless you. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Here's what I want you to do. Go to miracleword.com, click on the partner tab, and then set up a monthly seed partner with us and watch what God will do in your life. For those that are uh, sowing $1,000 or more, we're going to be sending you the Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible, uh, one of my favorite study tools. Uh, we're gonna send it to you in the New Living Translation. For the month of May, we have a brand new book that we wanna send you uh, by Dr. Uh, Cho, entitled Prayer That Brings Revival. Uh, those that are sewing or partnering at $85 or more uh, in the month of May, prayer that brings revival. You talk about <laughs> a, uh, you talk about a, a convicting book. This is a convicting book. Uh, just the first chapter alone will convict you uh, immensely to pray to get into the presence of God. Doctor Cho, if you don't know who he is, built the largest church in the world, over a million members at Yoido Full Gospel Church in uh, Seoul, Korea. Amazing, amazing, Uh, mighty man of God. He's still with us on the earth. Mighty man of God, and um, built prayer mountain. They did all of it through fasting and prayer. That's our gift to you for the month of May. Those that are sowing five thousand dollars or more, let me say this is almost ready. We have what we're calling the elite study collection. It's coming in a custom box. It's this is one of the most beautiful things I've seen. We've got three awesome study Bibles that we've packed into one and then two books on how to study the Bible that will take you deep into some of the best devotional times you've ever had. We're putting it all together in a custom package called the Elite Study Collection for people that are sowing $5,000 or more into this ministry as we're reaching not only the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're feeding the hungry around the world every single day. It's our gift to you. Uh, those are sowing $5,000 or more. Don't forget, uh, coming up, I believe it starts on what the 16th, uh, all the information's on the website, but coming to Elizabeth city, North Carolina, the tent is going to be set up. And after all the things that have happened there in Elizabeth city, we're believing for a mighty move of the Holy ghost. And it's going to be very, very powerful again today. The brand new kids video launched on lying and telling the truth. You'll see it on MiracleWordKids.com and also on our app. So I wanna encourage you, if you don't have our app, download it for free on App Store for Apple or the Google Play Store for Android, and it's called Miracle Word. And there we co- we've we got all of the kids' content archived, all of these broadcasts, our television shows, everything you wanna see and listen to. We've got the Miracle Word radio, it's 24 hours a day, everything's available under one banner. So if you go download that app today, it's absolutely free, won't cost you a dime. And uh, I look forward to it. There it is, you can see it on the screen. Search Miracle Word in your app store and get it for free. Everything we offer, all in one spot. It's the one-stop shop for all all of the stuff that we have. We, uh, oh, thank you Mimi, appreciate it. Love you guys a lot, thank you for hanging with me today. Um, Next week, We're going to be doing some series, and Carolyn will be back Wednesday and Friday on her broadcast at 2 p.m. next week. We love you so much. Have a powerful day, and I'll see you again very soon right here. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.